WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and thank you, Ray. We are very grateful to be on the air today, and we thank you for listening to the show. As always, those who are loyal listeners and those who are new, we're grateful for you being there. Hope that things that we talk about today or your calls and comments will be something that edifies us, helps us to know more about God and his word, and we appreciate your interest in spiritual things. This is a live call-in show, and so we're going to going to give you the numbers in just a moment, how you can get a hold of us here on We Are Just Christians, and and we can have a conversation. That's what makes the show go. When we have calls and comments, We uh, the show is much better, at least it is in my opinion, and we're able to communicate and talk together, and, and we learn. Now, Gary and I, Mike, my name is Mike Schmidt, by the way. I'm the elder, one of the elders and the preacher here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Gary Jones is is uh, the partner. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing a lot better he's, this morning, he's Mike. <laughs> been, he's been ill, down home, uh, sick, but he's doing better now, so we're glad about that. But but we have understandings and beliefs about the Scriptures, convictions about what's right or wrong and what's, what the Scriptures teach, and we don't mind sharing those with you. This show is not about browbeating anybody, though. It's about about persuading people and talking to people about what it means to be just a Christian, which means to follow the New Testament as a rule of faith and practice, not only in our personal lives, but uh, in life in general and and also in church and what we do together as a group of Christians. Uh, that's what it's about. And we're trying to introduce that idea of what it means to get beyond some of the traditions and ideas that people have, both secular and religious, and get back to what the scriptures say we ought to do as a worldview. So that's what We Are Just Christians is about. And we would love to hear from you uh, and what you think about something, anything that's going on, either in society or in your life or your experiences, good or bad, with religious things. And we would particularly like to invite you to join into the show if you are an unbeliever or a skeptic, someone who is certainly, maybe you've had bad experiences in religion. We, we'd like to hear about that. We're not going to take it as someone just griping or call you names or anything like that. Uh, we know that it's certainly uh, not an uncommon thing for people to have bad experiences in religion and with religious people, um, just like it is with anybody else. But we'd also, but we'd like to hear about that. Maybe we can shed some light on why things happen like they do, um, or maybe we can point to some scriptures that will show you that you are completely justified in the things that you think and, and so forth. We have no qualms in criticizing religion or religious people as they live in this world. We certainly take what the scriptures say as authoritative, but there's a big difference, and we recognize it, between what the scriptures say and what people do. And so we don't have any interest in making just a blanket defense of religious organizations or anything like that, uh, nor do we have an interest in just being critical because whatever you want to Whatever organization or idea that you want to get rid of is going to be replaced by something else, right? The question is whether it's better and whether it's what the scriptures say, what the Bible says. So anyway, we'd like to invite you to join in the show. Uh, one one thing I'd like Before to point we, out. i got to give the numbers. Okay. okay. Hang on a second. The numbers to reach us here on, on We Are Just Christians are 772-340-1590. That's the main call-in number, 772 772- 
340-1590 is the call-in number. We'll patch you right through. We'll have a conversation. Uh, we'll try, we'll not trying to step on you or cut you off if that happens because of feedback or, or a delay loop, I guess you'd say. And we'll give you the last word if you call in on whatever subject it is, agree or disagree. And then you can reach us by text message. They have two text numbers. One is mine, Mike's, and one is Gary's. My text number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And then we have a Gary's number, 772-260-6220 is Gary's text number. And uh, we'll be glad to take a text during the show or during the week and so forth. So we'll try to... Uh, We'll get, the, we'll get the text here, and if we can respond to it, we will, is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, we'll give some other information in just a moment. Gary, what were you going to say? I was going to go back. You were talking about the, the approach we take, and I, I, I keep coming back to this verse, and I, you know, I know it's my personal opinion, but I reckon my, reckon, recommend you underline this verse, John 12, 48. Jesus is speaking. He says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's where we're coming from. That's where Mike and I are are looking to the scriptures. Because what Jesus told us is going to be the standard by which when we come before God and he says, give account, this is a standard by which we're going to be measured. Right. That's exactly right. Well, it looks like we have a caller on the line, uh, Gary. Uh, uh, What's on your mind, Jerry? Gentlemen, I know. lost him, Mike. Lost you there, Jerry. Can you can you uh, I just, try that again? Yes, I just briefly. Uh, I don't want to sound naive, but the uh, the usual word "no" in the Bible, uh, uh, I assume that means a, a a woman slept with a man. And I just wonder if you could briefly uh, uh, clarify that for me. Uh, Mike, and uh, the term is no in the Bible, K-N-O-W, and I just wanted to get that cleared up. Uh, did it mean that they had intercourse or they just slept together? And I'd like to listen off hell, Mike, if that's okay. That'd be great, Jerry. I appreciate you calling in. Yes, I, I think you're correct about that. I think the Bible uses the word no from early on in the Bible, the very first couple chapters taught Adam and Eve. Uh, it uses this word "no" as a uh, as a description of sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. Now, it also uses the word "no," you know, in a uh, in an information in a, in a general way, in an informational sense, right? But, um, it, 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 especially the King James version uses this word "no" that way. Uh, now, let me see if I can. I'm, I'm, I know I've got a bunch of references here in front of me, but I want to get one that's because um, <coughs> some versions don't translate this word no as um, as well they don't translate the word in Hebrew uh, as no they translate it as something else. Um, well, it's but, it's it's new. Now Adam knew his wife. Yes, Eve. he knew his wife. That's Eve. Genesis four one. Yes. Cain in four seventeen. Um, basically, Adam again in Genesis four twenty five. It, it's it's used of sexual intercourse in 
those obvious passages. Um, yeah, the new the New King James um, it says new, and that word is uh, yada. You know, interesting thing. You, just, you probably don't know this, Gary, but Seinfeld had a whole episode, uh, which Seinfeld was a show from what the nineties which was a show about nothing they used to joke about. And what it was, my description of the show is, it's a show about scruples with no morals. They had scruples about everything that they did, discussing whether you could eat this or that and whatever, and the show was about a lot of scruples, but nobody on the show had any morals. And one of the show, uh, one one of the shows was about Elaine, the girl who slept around everywhere, she would say people would be talking and she'd go tell a story, yada, yada, yada. You know, they, they went here, they went there, yada, yada, yada. And, and so she's using it. And it, part of the joke in the show is that oftentimes she's leaving out the part where they're having sex. And I thought that now probably one percent of the population or less would take it this way. But I was laughing because I knew that the word yada, yada, and they were all Jews on the show. <laughs> meant in Hebrew to know, meaning have sex. And they didn't even, I don't think, they well, maybe they did, but I doubt that they knew that that's what this meant. I never watched Seinfeld. so I was Well, I didn't watch it till it was in reruns, and it has its funny moments. And it's interesting for the reason that I said, not that you're going to get life lessons from it, but to see the beginning of the effects of this postmodern culture down to the street level where there are no more real morals to decide what's right or wrong. People have scruples about whether they'll use plastic or no plastic or, you know, what, what they'll do about everything. They have, they have a morality, but it's based on environmentalism and some other things. Plastic straws versus yes, paper straws. Yes, it's based on that kind of replacement morality and scruples, uh, which is not morality or not real morality, and they have none of that. But this word yada does mean sexual intercourse, and it's used that way uh, throughout the Bible in many cases, as well as the normal usage of the word. And it means to ascertain by seeing and um, it, what it's the way it's used in the Bible over and over again. You have throughout the prophets and throughout some of the other historical writings in the Old Testament that we should come to know the Lord. He wants the people to know the Lord. And what that means is an intimate knowledge more though so than just a fearful offering up a sacrifice to a deity that might burn you up but or ruin your crops or something, but to come to know him as a person. See, the God of the Bible is a personal God, not a human, but a person, not just a force like gravity or inertia or whatever. Or the, force, not, or the force be with you. He's not just the universe. You know, people today say, well, the universe arranged this. What they're saying is they're using a, a, another euphemism for God. But God in the Bible is not just a universal force. He is a person, and we're made in his image as persons. And all this personality that we have, that what makes us human, what makes us different than the animals, is what we have to come to know about God intimately by by living. And we come to know, strangely enough, the Bible says we come to know him, not because we sit around and meditate and think our own thoughts, but when we read his word and meditate upon that's, 
his yeah. word, we come to know what he is, and then we can see his actions in the world around us, and we come to know him even more. And when we live by his law, we do what's right, we come to know him. There's, there's something about God that, that people who do not obey him do not understand. But, but when you try to live what, and do what's right, you come to understand many things about the divine nature that you can't understand by disobedience or by ignorance about God. Well, and you so, also begin to understand the advantages to doing those things. Yes. That God, you, you, you come to know the benefits of those things as well. And when you disobey, if you're reasonably intelligent, you may upon, upon some time learn the disadvantages of disobedience. So, Correct. And that's that's how this word is used. Uh, I would I, I keep thinking the word euphemism, but it really isn't a euphemism. A euphemism is when you take an unpleasant subject and give it a nice sounding, you know, um, name to make it like uh, we talk about death and we say passing. Somebody's passing. Yeah. Well, instead of saying somebody died, you know, we don't we don't want to get upset. We get upset about that. So we get make a euphemism. To, to, the idea of sexuality being knowing is not a euphemism. It's an accurate description of what God built into the sexual act. That's what I was going to get It's an accurate description of what happens. We're supposed to come to know someone intimately more than just an intellectual knowledge. It, or has, a, it has an informational characteristic. Yes, it's it. an experiential, informational uh, thing that God reserves for people who are married to one another and committed to one another permanently – then in that experience, they come to know each other, and, and the process leads them to become one. They start off being one. They become more one as years go by. And, and you know, Gary, and we have another caller, but let me just say this. I think it's interesting. I always heard all, all my life because my family members, going back to my grandparents, most of them lived with the same mate their whole lives. And so I was used to being around people who have been married 30, 40, 50 years growing up which was a blessing to me at the time. I didn't even recognize it. But in any event, they always would joke about how two people started looking like each other even. Um, <laughs> and they were kind of joking when they would say that. But it's actually somewhat true, even, even scientifically or observationally. People that live together and know each other sexually over a long period of time become more alike, and yet they retain their differences from each other. And so that's the way it is with God. The more we are experiencing God in our daily lives, that deep experience of living by his laws and bringing ourselves in conformity to him, we begin to look like God, right? We do. And we begin to then uh, act the same way, and yet we retain our individuality. The ones who don't retain individuality are the ones who don't know God. They all begin to act alike in, in a in their own way, and they don't uh, they don't know anything. Well, anyway, uh, add something. If you want to add something, Gary, we'll Well, that, was, that was like in the Philippian letter. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. That sums it up. Let his mind be right. in you. And then and, and you and, become and, like him. The goal right. is to be like him. Well, anyway, uh, you're exactly right, uh, Jerry, if that's what you thought, that no means is a, often used to mean sexual intercourse in the Bible. And because... It does indicate intimate knowledge, and that's why it should be reserved for people that are permanently committed to one another in marriage. That's why God reserves it for that, 
because of its intimate nature. And so when someone uses sexuality just to go sleep with someone that they don't really intend to live with permanently, it it uh, it destroys something as well as reveals things that we don't aren't ready for. And it's often a destructive element. It doesn't bring people closer together. It, over time, it tends to drive them apart when they do that. Okay, we have another caller. Laura, are you there? Yes, guys. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing. I'm I'm doing okay. What's on your mind today? I was just wondering a deeper meaning of Ephesians four thirteen. Okay. Ephesians 4.13. What was the last thing you said about not? Spirit reveals to me, and hang on, I'm opening my Bible, but it's, it refers to coming into the unity of the faith. Right. Well, he says here, what do you want to say about that? And I'll, then I'll give a, my explanation about what I think that means, and we'll see what they match up. Okay. Well, you know, you always got to follow back. So it talks about the unity of the spirit is the title of the chapter. Um, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a nature of man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What I'm reading here is us coming into the sound doctrine and knowledge of that saving grace of Jesus Christ and not being deceived by crazy teachings. Well, that's that's right. Now, I, I, the, the, you mentioned, just as a side point, Laura, you mentioned that the chapter has a title. In the Bible, in the text of the Greek and in the Hebrew, there are no, there are no titles and subtitles in chapters. There, there aren't even any numbers and verse numbers. Those have been added by people to help understand. So always remember, although they're helpful, those chapter titles are just a commentators or yeah. translators. And no punctuation. Understanding. Yeah, there's not even much punctuation in the original text that we have. So uh, the interesting thing is, although in your Bible it's called the unity of the spirit here, what Paul is saying is bringing about this unity. Notice what he says, that Christ came to give gifts to men, it says. Now, we can, it's a big chapter, but in verse 11, it says, and he himself, that's speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give some, why did he give these, as it were, works to some men? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edifying means building up. So he's equipping people to work, to do the work that God has. Okay. I'm All sorry. Right. And he's building them up by these gifts. And then that is going to be there. Those things are going to exist until we all come to a unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. I'm needing the New King James Version. So he tells you how long these gifts are going to last, which I think is until the end of the world, is what he's saying, these gifts. But the unity of the spirit, if that's the title of the chapter of the translation that you have, that's done by teaching the word. 
this isn't about sitting around figuring out what you think, how your spirit moves and what you feel like this morning when you uh, when you uh, meditate. This is about reading and understanding the word that's this been is, left by the apostles and prophets and evangelists. This is by the knowledge of the Son of God. Right. By that's, the how, that's how a person is equipped to be edified and built up. So we can only have a unity of the faith when we all agree to follow just the Bible. Go, go ahead and, and what you want to say, Laura. I got you, and I'm sorry. I have a little commotion going on here. That's okay. Oh, I, I agree with most of that, but I just see the world going in a completely wrong direction now and so being deceived, especially our youth. It keeps me in a lot of prayer. Well... You know, I, I, I we talk about that on this show all the time, that the world is moving in a very bad direction. And I guess to, to become a little more sober-minded about that, it's all the Bible says the world's always been going in the wrong direction. It gets better in some generations than others, but the world is moving completely away from any concern about what God might think about anything. Just like I mentioned, that show I was talking about earlier, I know you heard the first part of the show about Seinfeld. That show wasn't anything at all about what God might say about how we should act and, and live. It was just about what people thought about it. And um, and the same thing, and you know, the disturbing one of the disturbing things to me, Laura, and you probably have seen this, is that uh, so many churches and so-called pastors are just giving their own personal opinions about things. They're not really relying on what the word, they're not digging into the word and telling you what the text says and explaining that text to you. They are just giving their their, their own version of pop psychology. And whatever the whichever direction the world is going, you find the majority of churches eventually go that direction, whatever the world, wherever way the world is going, that's what they do. Rather than being grounded into the word. And that's why we can't have unity in churches, because everybody's going to only go by their opinion. And, and so there can be no unity. It's impossible. But if we all agree to follow just the Bible, there could be some unity. And it's a discouraging thing. But yeah, all you and I can do is keep looking at, this, at the word, trying to be faithful, examining ourselves first before we look at everybody else. But we certainly have to try to teach what God says. Yes, that is completely correct, because I had to go back and learn. I had little to no understanding of what they call the fivefold ministry, and then it brought me back to Ephesians 4, and I kind of sort of understood it, but then I related to another man-made tradition or breaking out. I mean, some ideas are clever and good, but I'm a I'm a firm believer in that Bible from in the beginning to amen and the Holy Spirit teaching you in an intimate setting along with a corporate setting. What do you mean by corporate setting? Church, um, attending oh, a meeting, the, the, you know. The, the, bo the, the body working together in, in a group, yes. Right, now, but see, we have to have our own intimate time with him. We do, but I think there's, I think what's happened is in, our, in the last generation or two, and it, it's a cultural thing. Once again, it's following the general course of the big river of popular culture over the last century or two. Everything has moved away from the church being a body that functions together and people 
bringing their thoughts in conformity with what the church teaches as as such through the word to every person deciding what they think is right and then um, living from that. Now, there's a tension between those two things. Obviously, we all have to do that. But what, what I hear people saying, Laura, all the time and read this in various contexts is, well, they say, I sit down with my Bible every morning and maybe I read a, I read a verse or two and that, that I just let the Spirit tell me what that means. And I have visions and God tells me what I'm supposed to do that day. He tells me what I'm supposed to think that day. And they hear these voices in their head. And that kind of Christianity is not taught in the Bible as far as the New Testament church is concerned. And it can never lead to any kind of unity. Because it's not up to you and I to simply let our own brain decide what the word means. God left words and thoughts and he left logical arguments, understanding in the scriptures. And we have to say what's in that text, not not uh, what am I going to decide what it means, but what's in the text and draw it out by thinking about it and praying about it so that we can pray that we might have wisdom and understanding. In the end, the truth is in the text, not in me. And in the long run, it comes into me but if, when I begin to obey it. When I begin to obey that text and bring my thought and every thought, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when I bring every thought into captivity to Christ, then the truth lives in me. But we're still living in such a hyper-individualistic society <laughs> that we even think we can decide if we're, a, if we're a goat or a person or a tree or a male or a female. We think we get to decide that. That's how hyper-individualized our society is. And there can never be any kind of unity in that culture, never be any unity at all. Um, and so, well, there can be unity at the point of a gun, which is what's coming. Yes. Uh, and so, unfortunately, and there'll be a short-lived unity. So you and I have to decide we're going to follow what the apostles and prophets say. And the early church, Lord, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Two things there. They, were, they, they continued every day, all the time, in, in learning and understanding what the apostles said. And then in fellowship, that means together, they did this together with other believers. They weren't all just individual little pockets of Christianity. They did it together with other believers. I think that's a reference a lot in the long run to what you were referring to as the corporate body. Now, the other extreme of this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I didn't hear you were trying to talk. Well, don't. I, I think it, it's supposed to expand outside of the inside corporate body. Well, the whole point, the whole point of it is so that the body can can function together to teach for the for the work of ministering. That's teaching other people. So, yes, it has to go outside of that. If uh, It's not just about a bunch of people in secret meeting together and, and only talking about themselves. But there has to be evangelism and there has to be teaching, which is to bring other people into this body. That's the idea of evangelism. And um, that that's one of the reasons why we should be together as Christians and why we should try to live the way God says us to for us to live 
is so that our evangelism can be more successful with people. And, um, you know, I think you referred to this. I think you called a couple weeks ago, if my memory is correct, Lauren, you were talking about the fact that uh, the church seems to have sometimes a bad influence on our neighbors. And part of that's because of the way we act. I agree with you about that, if I remember what you said. And that's exactly why he's telling we got to get back to what the apostles said to do. Jesus in the Old and the New Testament. That's correct. He is. He's he's in the he's in the Old Testament in prophecy and acting as the word in the Old Testament, according to what the scriptures say. And then he came in the person of a man named Jesus. uh, When God made a body for for his son in through Mary's womb, and he became a person, human being, a full human being and full God. So he's acting all throughout. He is the word. The Bible even says that. Of everything that was created, John 1, 1, nothing has been created without Jesus Christ, because he was there in the beginning as the word. But I'd like to point out, Mike, just just the way we come to that unity is based on the word, and we have to know what is in God's word. I keep coming back to how many times have you read in the Gospels, how many times did Jesus say, have you not read, talking about the scriptures, that they were supposed to be living by. Jesus in John 14, I think he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. What he's referring to is what he spoke. He is the way because of what he said. He told us how to do the things that we should do. Right. And, and basically, we can't get away from the fact that we've got to come back to the word. He expects us to, to, to read it and to understand it. The, the passage you quote a lot in Ephesians, I think it's in Ephesians 3, it says, Paul says, uh, he's written to them, briefly written to them by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's the knowledge that's in Ephesians 4 when he says, by the knowledge of Christ. It's when we read that what is written, then we understand what Christ is. We understand what the way is. We understand what the truth is. And we understand what the light is. Right. That's exactly right. Well, Laura, let me just add this. Someone texted in based on what you're what you're saying here is that that um, before man set up the church government, and I don't agree with that particularly, the Holy Spirit managed church government through the gifts of the Spirit. Now, there's truth in that. In that early early on in church history, there was no written word. The word was revealed directly to these apostles and prophets. And Paul, that's the verse that Gary was referring to in Ephesians chapter 3, that Paul said that I, I received this revelation from Christ, which I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read it, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery. So initially it was given orally, and then, then during the time what we call the first century, uh, it was written down so that what we're left with is the written word. And so those spiritual gifts he's talking about in some of these passages here, where individuals had the gift of di- of discerning prophecy and so forth, he said they would all pass away, speaking in tongues. He said these will cease and so forth because the written word was here. And so now we call people back to that written word, to just like we're doing this morning. We're looking at a passage, trying to understand what it says gaining meaning from it and it's far greater meaning than we can even perceive 
reading it a hundred times is there and it applies in every generation. But that, as I think you're getting at, Laura, is the basis of not only how we should act, how the church should act, but then the basis for us teaching those outside of Christ uh, what they ought to believe and do. And so that's why we talk about going back to this word to find that thing. And it's a living thing. It lives in because when the word comes into your heart, it has this power of the spirit of God behind it. And it has power in you. To change you. And that's what that's what's happened to me. This word changes over time how I think and how I act, because contained in that word, empowering that word is the word spirit of Jesus Christ. But don't don't be confused. It's not a living document like liberals like to call the Constitution a living document. It doesn't change its meaning, but it lives within us because it takes takes form in us. Right. Right. But every time you read it or every time I read it, um, the Holy Spirit encloses something to me I may have overlooked because I believe now is my time to understand it. That I've grown maturity and reading and developing a plan. So I will see something I've overlooked, maybe because of my hurriedness or not my time yet to understand. I, I think, I think you're right about that. Knowing that he'll reveal what he needs for us day by day. Now, now the danger is, I agree with what you said. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you are still talking. However long. The, the, the danger that we face in doing what you say there, which we ought to do, is that sometimes we have this human tendency to substitute the things that we're thinking or what we would like for it to say for what it actually says. And we overlook stuff. So we tend to substitute a lot of our own thoughts on top of the word and call that the word. So we've got to always be cautious that w- when people say, I hear this little voice in my voice in my head, that that voice uh, is not necessarily God's voice. It's your own voice telling you what you want to hear. And so we've got to be cautious about that, that, uh, yes, the God is speaking to us through the word. So let's make sure that we hear his voice and not just make up stuff every day that we want to do or to when con- or when we believe what that, we do. Yeah, or when we believe that we understand, we also have to be open to the idea that learning what's in the scripture is a process and we will learn more as we read right. more and more and understand more. We've got to be willing to change the things that we understand to encompass all of the things that may address that particular su- subject. And there are many passages, and they're spread all through the Scripture. They're not all in one place on one, one, one subject. Stage, yeah. And I, I think it's important what you say, too, Laura, that, that sometimes people just aren't ready for what that particular Scripture is saying to, to us, to, that, to them. And they, it takes patience for us to go back and read again, and then things become clearer as we grow. This is what this, till we all come to a perfect man, the word perfect means complete, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're all working toward that over time. That happens by piece by piece, the word of God coming into our heart through our reading and, and, and meditation upon that. Now, you see, meditation, by the way, interesting, I ran across something this week again about that. Uh, meditation, the way it's commonly used today and the way it's used in a lot of the world, 
is used is it's different than what the Bible calls meditation. The Bible calls meditation, reading the word of God and thinking about it in a way to understand what God is saying. Meditation, the way it's often used today, means I take a poem or take something I read and then I let my thoughts go to go to work on that. And I come up with something that I like that fits me. I turn it into something that I like. Yes, that's meditation in the worldly sense. Meditation in the godly sense, in the Bible sense, is trying to understand exactly what God is saying and how it fits the situation that I may be in. Now, the, in the end of this passage that you referred to, Lord, he says, the reason this should be done is so that we would be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of evil plotting or deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head. And so he says that the goal of this the goal of this knowledge is to not be tossed about. Well, I'm sorry, Laura, I think I was missing what you were saying. Um, Are you the, still there? The goal of this is not to be tossed about and just carried around by whatever is coming yes. along and down the pike this week, you know? Yes. Which I think is why we move and grow, but we just, I don't think we can really let our feelings play in a lot. I do believe we have to just read and grow and pray and invite the Holy Spirit in to enlighten the scripture to their true meanings, use concordances, do Bible studies. Yes, feelings should follow knowledge. Feelings come after knowledge. Yes. Yes. And, And sure, everybody nowadays. You know, I, t- I explain to people, it's just, nobody ever tells a side of the story that makes themselves look bad. They just never do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, people are very concerned. And, you know, I could go into a lot of psychological reasons why people do what they do today. Based on the- so thank you so much for your time. Well, I, I appreciate you calling. And that's a good that's a good passage to focus on. And those are some good thoughts. We appreciate it very much. You keep listening. We thank you for that. Yeah, but I got like I'll call back anytime, Laura. Yes, it's a, it is a, um, it is an interesting thing that when you look at Gary, when you look, we talk about all these reasons for social decay and the problems that we have, and the one thing that so many people don't mention, some do, but many do not, especially secular people, is the intentional destruction of the nuclear family, and even the extended family by leftists in the last two or three generations because it removes all the stability that people have of knowing who they are, where they came from, what their life's about, and and it removes all that identity and all the stability. And so they are children tossed to and fro by their own feelings. Well, even more than where we are, even more than that, Mike, I think it's the conscious effort to remove the existence of God from our thinking. Well, yes, but but the the, it, the that, effect of that that's they have it, to remove the family because that's a that's an impediment to their their concept of uh, removing God from our culture. They have to get rid of the family to do that. Well, we're, that we're where it started was the removal of prayer from the schools. That's where I, when I grew up, we prayed in the school. We prayed every morning when we started class. Probably one factor, yes. And that was one of the first things they got rid of. 
that was one of the the first of the steps that they took and yeah. and that's what it's aimed at an expansive an expansive federal government cannot have anything over it in people's minds it has to be the top thing and so whether they say it out loud or not the ult- the ultimate goal is to get rid of anything in the as i would call it in my lately last few sermons the upper story above man got to get rid of all that so that the government can be number one in everything just like that's the, how you got to get rid of praying just, to that just like the caesars in the first century they had to be the top exactly and no no large empire and governments have ever been friendly to new testament christianity just hasn't been that way and but but what I see in people's individual behavior, though, is is more childlike in that they're asserting their own rights. They're always taught, uh, focused on what other people have. He got this, and I only <coughs> he got a bigger piece than me. You know how children are. They're focused on so many things that are exactly like children who are tossed to and fro. Here, we're supposed to, in Christ, come to a mature kind of person who is not focused only on themselves and who is um, has stable emotional um, background to their life. So many people are seeking, and I'm saying this in somewhat sympathetically, people are sheep without a shepherd. What's that indicate? Like lost children wandering around right. not knowing who's there. They are lost, the Bible says. Uh, when you talk about what that word means, it's pretty pathetic they just don't have any idea where they are they're somewhere they don't know where it is they're they're confused by where they are which is what we see in the world today and they don't know which way to go and so they're walking wandering around aimlessly oftentimes and in christ we lose all of that sense of being lost because we have a direction to go we know who's leading us and we know the purpose behind what we're seeing we understand the world we're seeing with 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 Christ without him we're lost in that sense now there's more meanings to the word lost than that but that's how i would use it in modern society and so there's this childlike casting about um in things i remember as a boy even young gary maybe i was as they would say special <laughs> and not in a good way oftentimes but i i tried to figure out everything that i saw I came up with my own explanations for things. When when I didn't see any adults giving any explanation, I decided I would explain all these things myself. And, and some of the most ridiculous things you can think of is what I thought the explanation was as a kid. And so this is where we are today, little children making up explanations for things they see. But the one thing they don't ever want is what you're saying. They don't want a heavenly father. Yeah. They don't want somebody above them telling them what to do. And so we wander aimlessly. Now, the Christian worldview and mindset is is different, opposite of that. We willingly accept and acknowledge a heavenly father. We understand that this heavenly father, although he tells us what we ought to do, what ought not not to do, is doing it because he loves us and has our best interest at heart. And, not, and, and I'm even leaving out the aspect of Jesus Christ saving us from our sins. We're, that's a different metaphor. I'm not, I'm not denying that or downplaying that. But in, the, in this picture of the general feeling of humanity, 
we have this, we refuse to have a father in heaven oftentimes, whereas Christians accept that father in heaven. They see the benefit of that, and they slowly bring their self in conformity with that. Uh, Judy was, and I, my wife and I were talking the other day about something. I don't know what it was, and she pointed this out to me, as she has on a couple of different occasions, that when I was younger in, all, in my teaching and public and talking, I always talked about the influence of my mother on my life and the lives of, the lives of my brothers because she was a very religious woman, and the, the, she, she spent a lot more time talking than my dad did. He was much quieter. And I would have talked about, and I still think my mother had maybe the most profound impact on me, perhaps. But she says, now that you're an older man, she says, it's very, very clear that your father had perhaps the greatest influence on your life over anybody. The impact that he had on your behavior, your thinking, the way you act toward your children and grandchildren came from your father. And, and the interesting thing about that, it wasn't so much the words that my father was speaking to me in those cases. It was what he did. What he was doing, what I could see without even knowing I was seeing it. And so this is, this is what happens to Christians, is that uh, we can be rebellious as people sometimes, but if we get into the words that God speaks and try here to come to the image of of Christ and bring ourselves under the power of the Father and his Son, it alters us fundamentally as to what we want and who we are. Now, Christians view this as a very positive thing that brings them innumerable blessings as they live. It doesn't take away all the problems or the pain or anything else, but it brings innumerable blessings in, de in dealing with those problems. People of the world, more people who are spiritually immature, resist all of that and view it as an imposition <clears throat> on their will. And there, therein lies the difference. That's the change that has to take place. If I go out here into the world, and uh, I think uh, Laura talked in another call, I was referring to this one I called, about us influencing people and what, how Christians act. If I'm going to bring about a change in anybody that I know, to lead them to Christ, at the, at the no matter what else is said and done, at the end of the day, I have to make that change in their heart or, or facilitate that change or point them in that direction. They've got to stop being a child and resisting the will of their father and come to understand the blessings of having a heavenly father and the good that it is. And if they can't ever make that discernment, they will never serve Christ. No matter how nice I am, no matter what I say, they will never make that change. Well, what we have to realize is, and it's not really us. I don't think it's anything that I say or, um, pardon me, Mike, it's not what you say. No, I agree. With it's what God says in the Scripture. Can I just, I just want to point them to that. That's yeah, what I'm that, talking about. That's what you need to there. point them to. The Scripture is the what does makes the change in a person, and it it's not going to make a change in every person. No. It, that, that's one of the things I had to realize. It's meant to, but it's not meant to either. Well, okay. it's... it's <laughs> it, it, it could, but, but it won't. There's a certain kind of person that God is calling. Yes. And it, and, and it, what Laura was saying is that, that may, they may be that kind of person one day, but, not, or, but weren't yesterday. They, right? They may change from one day to the next, what, whether they can hear or not hear. 
And the unfortunate part is they can change back. They can go back, yes. So it's, it's, it's what's going on there, and the word speaks to that. Yes, yeah, so when we, all that we can do as teachers is perhaps because we're living in the same world as the people around us, maybe we can help them to, make, to understand or make sense of the words that God's left. We keep pointing them to that word, and maybe they can, maybe things we say or examples we give can help them understand it. But in the end, it's not our, our genius or whatever that makes the difference. Now, that's the good and bad of being a preacher. You, you, your work is trying to influence people, but then you have to realize you don't really have any influence on people. It's frustrating, Gary. Well, because <laughs> it's not my power that would ever do anything. Well, the frustrating we, you and I don't have any power over people. The frustrating part is is is, is I'm going to quote here something from Ezekiel, because you and I understand this, and I'm not sure everyone else does. He see, he tells Ezekiel in, in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel is a prophet of God. He's in Babylon. They've they've been hauled away as as slaves, and basically he's supposed to talk to them. And he says to them, beginning in verse 7, he says, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless... If you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We have that responsibility to point to that word of God. Right. And if you understand the word, then you need to point people to that word. word. And if you don't, then you're being, uh, you, you aren't loving them. Yeah. People think loving people is accepting what they do or endorsing what well, he they said do. he says in another place in the new that testament let not many of you become teachers why because you will undergo a more strict judgment right now see here's the confusion about what way people use the word some words today gary the bible there clearly tells me that i can't i'm i ought to warn people that i know when they are walking down an immoral or dangerous path spiritually. I need to warn them about that. And if I don't do that, and I know that that's wrong, then I'll be held accountable for my, my not warning them. Now, today, that's called hate. That's the problem. That's called hate. Now, where the ha- hate can come into this, but where hate comes in is the manner in which I warn them. Okay. I can warn people in a hateful or disrespectful manner, or I can warn them in a manner that really is loving and powerful and helpful to them. And that, that, and that doesn't involve agreeing with them or just soft sugarcoating it. it. It is the motivation behind it. See, sometimes the motivation people have in warning me about what I'm doing is they, they want to gain some advantage over me or they want to make me look bad in the eyes of others and all kind of... Now, those that, that elevates or changes, I should say, not a little bit, changes what they're doing into hate rather than the word they say. Opposing what I'm doing because you think it's wrong is not in itself a hateful act. But the world says it is. That's where we are. Don't disagree because you're a hater. Uh, I reject that. I don't know anything that I, I, I don't intend to change my mind about that. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you'd have to, you better come up with some new argument that's not been said before to change my mind that, 
that disagreeing with someone is hating them. They keep trying this, don't they, Gary? Every yes. day, you just better come up with a, de- a better argument than you've done come up with before, before I'm going to accept that. And you can keep repeating it a thousand times. But disagreeing is not hate. Pointing out when someone is wrong or incorrect or dangerous is not hate. I can do it in a hateful manner, but it's not hate in itself to do so. And so we need to get over. That's immaturity. Isn't that what, what I'm talking about? Isn't that what little kids do when mom go to the party? I hate you. you. Hate me. Why do you hate me so much? Because you won't. The mother's trying to do something actually loving, perhaps. But when they don't get their way, children call it hate. And they come back with hate. Now, this is where we are with adults today, people in political power in our country. You disagree with them. You don't do what they like. You won't you won't knuckle under. And they say that you hate them and they hate you. This is where we are. They're children. Now, don't don't misunderstand that. They're dangerous children. But they still are acting in a very childlike way. And that's that's this immaturity in Christ. You and I have to as Christians, we've had to do this, Gary. We've had to sometimes look past people's motivations or uh, whether we even like a person or not to listen to the words they're saying to us to see if there is some spiritual value in what they're saying. And I've had to take criticism and try to take it seriously from people that I know that don't like me at all. And I'm not that fond of in the other direction because I don't think they treat me well, but, but were they speaking the truth about something? Yes. And I've had to take that criticism people that don't like me. Well, see, that that comes back to what I've said is the most difficult job that a Christian has is that of honest self-examination. Right. Children don't do that. Children, immature people don't do that honest self-examination. Paul says examine yourself to see that you're in the faith, and and we we lose sight of that. We, we, I think you should be doing that on a daily basis myself. Yes. You should be examining yourself. Exactly. And that's hard. That is that is that is really hard to do. But this I, is that's the work that true Christians are willing to do that people of the world are not willing to do. Well, it's that okay. bear, willing that to bear self-examination, it, realizing that you are going to bear the responsibility for what you do, whether you like to bear that responsibility or not. Come judgment day, it's going to it come. It makes a difference. Well, we got about seven minutes left, six minutes left. We still have time for you to call in if you'd like to call in. You can reach us by calling 772-340-1590 here, and we are just Christians. We'd like to have have your call, your comment this morning. If we can't finish that discussion, we'll continue it next week, 772-340-1590. You can also email us uh, at um, justchristians at att.net. In fact, I intended to discuss an email we got a couple of weeks ago today. We never got to it, Gary, but we will maybe next week. But that's just Christians at att.net. We appreciate those. If, very if much. we don't if we don't take up your email uh, in a time which you're satisfied, write us again. Tell yeah, us about yeah, make it. sure we got it. But but uh, also sometimes things just get in the way. Well, I got one last thought I want to leave you. All with. right, go ahead. And, I and wanna... that's Ecclesiastes and it's chapter 12 and it's verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Yes. There's that responsibility. It's all coming about. And that's, 
I think some versions say this is the whole of man or yes. this is man's all. It means it's what the purpose of man is. It's what makes a person a human. Well, I also wanted to mention, and um, we might can get into some other topic, real brief topic here, but I do want to mention that you can get this show, if you can't listen to on AM radio on Sunday mornings, you can get the show live on the TuneIn radio app. If you have a phone or a computer, go to TuneIn radio and just ask for 1590 WPSL and when we're on the air, and it'll bring this show right to you. You can ask for it on your Alexa devices. I have a little Alexa sitting by my chair, Gary, that I used to ask about the weather. I'm really savvy with it. But I have said, um, Alexa, turn on WQAM 15, um, WPSL 1590, and it brings it up. Okay, so you can do that in Google Chrome devices. You can also get the podcast of the show recordings at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Go there. Uh, it's, we, I'm going to change the way the menus are because at the top of the page you'll see sermons. If you scroll down that first page, there's a listing of the sermon page and the radio show. And you can go click on that, and it takes you to a page where you can listen on the, uh, on the computer. You can download them, and you can sign up for a podcast at wearejustchristians.com. So tell your friends about that uh, all around. They can even get, can get this show live or as a podcast all around the world. And you can leave questions if you'll just leave it there or follow the, the text and email. You can leave us questions. We'll be glad to deal with those. So in any event, that's um, <clears throat> that's some other ways you can get hold of the show and how we, you can reach us and tell your friends about it. We really appreciate your participation in those things and your listening. You know, uh, I guess um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, it came up in a discussion couple weeks ago. We'll just put this teaser out here. I think I did something on this based on a question that came up on the show a couple weeks ago. Somebody says, what is, what does it mean? I mentioned uh, someone being a member of this church, that you and I have responsibilities as elders that are particular to people that are members of this church that we don't share with people that are not members of this church. We owe everybody to teach the truth and to be a good example to them, but we owe members of this church, this local church at Savona Boulevard, something more as shepherds or elders of this of this church. And so someone was questioning, I don't know what where you get the concept of a member of the church from the Bible. So I think I'd like to talk about that, Gary, another show, uh, because I think that's something that's missing. Once again, since we're such a hyper individualized culture, then local churches have taken have. have have less importance in people's thinking. It's all about their individual Christianity. And the rise of the internet enables people to get their, as it were, preaching and teaching from everywhere and not just from one local church. And that's not a bad thing. But that doesn't change what the Bible says about the responsibility of you to work in a local church with other members and elders. So we'll talk about that in another show. We've got about a 30 seconds left here. Well, I'll just say real quick, the internet, the internet and your computer are marvelous tools that we've never had before to make it easier for you to understand the Bible and to study it in ways that men have not had in the past. But it can also go the other direction. It can go the direction, but uh, I would suggest get a, get a, basically a good concordance, which you can put in a phrase and look at the different things that come up. Right. Study all those different passages. 
Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll tune in again next week to We Are Just Christians, and may God bless you till then. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.